Good evening. Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. We are attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's say that one more time. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, one of the ways that we have the privilege of doing that is partnering with uh, Nazarene's Theological Seminary located in Kansas City. How many people have heard from either Dr. Butler or from Jay Sandbloom this week? Let me see your hands. Look, good coverage, good coverage. Um, it's kind of a homecoming for, for Dr. Butler. Those of you who haven't met him, he was here on, uh, as a member of the faculty and cabinet for 10 years. Um, I've known him for longer, but I won't tell you how long because then it would reveal other things. And Jay Sandbloom, Director of Admissions, we're glad you're both here. Um, we're going to begin our worship service this evening with a scripture reading, so take the Bible that's close to you and turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We'll be starting with, we'll be starting with verse 1. As he went along, he saw a blind a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed. And now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? 
We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for accepting our praise. Thank you for accepting our hearts. Thank you for accepting our lives and for, for changing us into your likeness. We give you praise. We thank you for the way that you have provided for us and for the way that you have graced our lives. We pray be honored by our response to your grace. We thank you for our brother, um, for his ministry and his service to you. We pray that you would use him and your word to accomplish what must be done this evening for your sake. And then we pray for those um, who are in our sphere of influence, those folks who need to know Jesus. Um, help us to tell them that once we were blind and now we see. And that through our lives of worship, they'll come to know you. Make it so. Amen. You may be seated. I would be remiss if I did not take a moment to uh say hello to all of you whom I know. I spent nine years here at the Bible College and it's great to see uh, those of you who I remember working with and worshiping with here. And then what a surprise to see several folk here from the church where I attended when I was here for those nine years and thank you so much for being here tonight. 
John chapter 9 is uh, this great story. It's, 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 it could be a 21st century docudrama filled with uh, intrigue and, and uh, filled with all kinds of passion and emotion. This man who is healed of his blindness, who is obedient, uh, who is persecuted, who is excommunicated, and who finally at the end of the story is delivered. In fact, there are at least ten places we could stop in this story and gain significant insight. And when I first graduated and went out to pastor, I would probably have tried to preach all ten. <laughs> but I've learned that you can't do that. But let me just quickly tell you what at least some of those are. Uh, first, we could spend a lot of time talking about the fact, is sickness the result of sin? That issue is raised in this passage, and we could spend some time there, but... We're not going to do that tonight. A second thing that this passage teaches us is that we serve a Savior who seeks us out. Twice in the passage, in verse 1 and verse 35, it's Jesus who goes and seeks out the blind man. Lots of great truth there. We could also talk about the role of faith in miracles. In some of Jesus' miracles, there are people who come to him exercising and expressing faith and even saying, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. But in this story, this seems to be a random act of kindness from Jesus. We don't get any response from the man, at least at first. And we could talk a lot about that. What is the role of faith in miracles? Or we could spend an entire sermon talking about what constitutes work on the Sabbath. We've had those discussions, haven't we? This miracle took place on the Sabbath, and that's what got the Pharisees so upset in the first place. Or we could spend a sermon talking about the fine line between preserving orthodoxy and getting so concerned about that which is theologically correct that we miss the Messiah when he comes. Because that's just exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were so concerned about preserving the orthodoxy of their Jewish faith that they missed Jesus when he was in their midst. Or we could preach a sermon from this passage about the debilitating effect of fear. The parents were so afraid of the religious authorities, they wouldn't even own their son and what had happened in his life. Fear is a terrible thing, but we can't go there tonight either. We could preach a sermon on the tendency of skeptics to get hung up in the details. And if you've never witnessed to a person like this, you will eventually. Where you try to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and his love for them. And they want to know how and, and what and, and when. And they want all the details. And that's the way the Pharisees were. Who was it that did this? How did he do this to you? They were getting lost in their details as skeptics. We could preach a sermon on the fact that laypersons have much to teach the clergy. <laughs> For this young man is talking to the Pharisees and they're quizzing him and finally he says, you know, it's kind of strange that you call this man from the devil and yet don't we know that all good things come from God? What's going on here? And they're very upset that he's challenging their authority. Or we could preach a sermon from this passage, as I have a number of times, about the progressive nature of this man's understanding of Jesus. He said in verse 11, when asked who healed him, a man named Jesus. Then when asked another time in verse 17, he says, he is a prophet. And finally in verse 38, he calls him Lord. 
There's no doubt in my mind that that's why John records this story here in John chapter 9. In chapter 8, Jesus says, The Father sent me, and before Abraham ever existed, I was. And then in chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And so sandwiched between those statements from Jesus, John puts this story in here of a person who is healed and who at first thinks that it's a man who heals him and then realizes it's a prophet who heals him and then suddenly comes to the realization that it's God himself who heals him. And what John is trying to teach us is that there's this progressive understanding of who Jesus is. I'm tempted to stop there and preach that sermon, but the sermon I feel God wants me to preach to you tonight is a tenth thought from this passage. It's something that is said three different times. In verse 7 it says, So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Verse 11, when asked what happened, he said, I went, I washed, and now I see. And in verse 15, I washed, and now I see. John tells us that Jesus came upon a blind beggar in the streets of Jerusalem one Sabbath morning. Not an unusual sight, undoubtedly, in the streets of Jerusalem. Blindness was a common malady in that day, and the only way they had to make a living was to beg in the streets. For some reason, Jesus had unusual compassion on this man and reached out to him even though the man did not ask for help. And then Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud, and placed it upon the man's eyes, we're told. Now, I don't know about you, but I doubt that the American Medical Association would approve of such a tactic. Anyone not seeing very well tonight? I had Greg bring in some dirt. Right here, if we want to, I can clear my throat here in a minute. And we could see what we could do. We really have no idea why Jesus did this. It makes no sense to us. Oh, there have been some authorities that said that in that day there was a lot of belief in the healing power of spit. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Jesus, what was that all about? <laughs> then in verse 7, Jesus says, Now, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, time does not permit me to rehearse for you the story of the building of Hezekiah's tunnel, a tunnel that was hewn through solid rock one-third of a mile into the Kidron Valley where there was a well to bring water from the valley into the city proper of Jerusalem, the city wall, the walled city. And that, that tunnel, that through the wall of the city, underneath the walls of the city, a great story in the Old Testament. And it came into a pool 20 feet by 30 feet, and that was the city's water supply. And Jesus said, go wash these filthy, dirty eyes in which I have just placed saliva-ridden mud. Now, once again, our source of 21st century hygiene doesn't approve of such a thing washing our eyes in the city's water supply. But you have to remember, Clorox had not yet invented disinfectant wipes. 
So Jesus had no recourse but to have the man do that. And then I'm struck with the simplicity of what the Word says to us next in the second half of verse 7. He went and washed and came home seeing. And that leads me to the title of tonight's sermon, Go, Do, See. Now I heard some people in the foyer trying to figure out the title of that sermon tonight. They were wondering what it meant. One speculated that it was a Chinese dish at the Great China Buffet down here on Academy. You know, go do see. You put it over a little bit of rice with some sweet and sour sauce and they wondered if that's what it's about. Another thought, no, isn't that the name of that great Italian opera singer? Godusi, Victor Godusi, yes, he's the one. No, it wasn't the opera singer that we had in mind. And I even heard one student from the Greek class, Dr. Powers, who was speculating that it was uh, the Greek word for short sermon. But uh, <laughs> they realized that was just hopeful thinking that had plenty of time to take a break after chapel was over. No, the title of the sermon is exactly what it says Go, do, see. Now, the Bible is clear to us that salvation is by faith alone. There is absolutely nothing we can do to earn a place in God's family. I love the phrase of the old hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We are saved by the meritorious work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, period, end of statement. There is nothing we can do to earn our way into God's family. And when with repentance we come to Him seeking forgiveness, we discover that He is coming to meet us through His prevenient grace and to make us joint heirs with Christ. What a great and valued treasure. But the Bible also tells us that we have responsibilities to fulfill as part of God's kingdom. Paul admonishes us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You see, staying connected with God is not something we can do on autopilot. It engages us. The story before us in John chapter 9 underscores our involvement in the interventions of God in our lives. You see, Jesus could have healed this man by simply touching him. He did that often. But on this occasion, he asked for some participation from this man. And when the man went, and when the man washed, it was then that he came back seeing. Sight followed obedience. The Christian life is filled with going and doing before there is seeing. I don't need to tell a crowd like this about going. You picked up from wherever it was you lived and hauled your family across country or at least across town and planted yourself here to come to this place. You know all about going. And online students who will hear this message as part of the online program, you've at least gone across the kitchen to the computer on the other side of the room. There's nothing we do that doesn't involve going. And let me assure you, if you're going to get a degree from this place, there's going to be plenty of doing the faculty will see 
to that. And so go and do in order to see. You want to feel close to God? It's going to require some going and doing. Going to the Word, worship, meditation, working on our relationship with God. You want to see your families and neighbors one to Jesus Christ? It's going to take some going and doing, praying, earning the right to speak to them about Jesus, being a friend to them and sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to live a life holy and blameless before God. It will take some going and some doing, and it will take some not going to some places and not doing some things. In short, if you want to be delivered from your blindness, whatever that blindness is tonight, health issues, financial issues, academic issues, marital relationships, reconciliation with your children. The list could go on and on of those things you want from God. It's going to take some going and some doing. And I'll just have to tell you, those of you that know me well will not be surprised by what I'm about to say. With my personality, I don't like this order. You see, with my personality, I'd much rather see before I go and do. You see, I want to see the big picture. I want to know all the directions. I couldn't have one of those cars that says, turn right at the next thing. No, I want to know if I ever get in the car, all the right turns and the left turns. See, I want to have that all mapped out. I want to know where it is that I'm heading. I do much better when I see the big picture. And sometimes God allows that to take place. He gives us that big picture, that big vision, and then says to us, go and do. And that's easier for me when I already know what it is he wants. But it's those Abraham-like occasions in life when we have no idea where it is that we're to go, and we have no idea what it is that we're supposed to do, and God just says, go and do, and eventually you'll see. I have trouble with those kinds of times. But this passage reminds me that that's what life is like on occasion. And I need to be the kind of person who goes at the command of God, and does at the command of God. And when I do that, then I will be able to see. When life gets tough, and it will if it has not already, remember the words of this great miracle in John chapter 9. He went, he washed, he came back seeing. Go, do, see. Don't become weary in doing and going. Hang in there. And when we are obedient, the blindness will turn to light. God bless you. to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Go, do, and see.